Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. Today we are thrilled to be joined by Diego Dalton lacoste Diego is the co-founder of On The List, an innovative online flash sales platform that offers members-only flash sales, allowing its members to enjoy exclusive access to luxury brands at reduced prices. By transforming inventory into opportunity, On The List is revolutionizing the retail industry in Asia for both brands and consumers. In part one of our conversation with Diego, we discuss how he and his partner have built on the list and how they view the future of retail in Asia. We also discuss topics such as building partnerships with well-known brands, finding and retaining good talent in the retail industry, and the importance of understanding the specifics of each market in Asia. Enjoy. Now we are lucky to be in a situation where it's easier to, to get access to the people, but then to convince them to work with us is still a challenge uh, for some of the brands. And so the, the most important part is to get to know them and, and to really understand what are uh, the challenges they're facing. Of course, uh, concerning on the list, it's all about the stock, the excess inventory that they, they have at the warehouse. But we try to talk not only about that, we want to really understand their day-to-day life, about really as a president, managing director of a brand in Asia, what are the really like the big concerns and, and in a way if there's any connection, any any best practice that we can share, uh, they love it. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Diego, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so where in the world are you today? Obviously, we're recording you remotely. Where are you sitting right now? This week, I'm in Singapore. I'm usually based in in Hong Kong, and uh, I'm in Singapore. We have a team here of 25, and we have a beautiful showroom in the CBD. So I'm in Raffles Place right now. Yeah, and what is CBD? stand for uh, so it's where all the offices the 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 all the, like, the business district and, right exactly yeah central central business sector yeah i you know and it's funny because i like a lot of cities in asia have that that cbd right i think Correct. i think in a lot of places they would know it so you you call hong kong home usually Correct, hong kong okay a little bit about yourself and the work that you do so I'm Diego, French and Mexican. Uh, I grew up in Mexico for six years and, and most of the rest of my life in, in, in France. Uh, I've met Delphine 11 years ago. So I'm mentioning Delphine because we're a couple and partners. Uh, we we are, have two little boys, uh, Pablo and Gavin, and we started on the list seven years ago uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, so we organize friends and family sales for, for many different brands, a lot of luxury brands, LVMH, Caring, but also more lifestyle brands like VF Group, uh, also cosmetics or uh, other categories of, of product. And the idea is really to help uh, 
uh, them to uh, uh, get rid of the excess inventory that they might have uh, by giving access to underlist members uh, to those friends and family sales uh, where they get the best deal in town. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we're going to dive into a lot of how that works and how you've been able to build it up, how you've been able to build a team of 25 in Singapore, which is not next door to Hong Kong. Um, Tell me a little bit about how you ended up in Asia. And why don't we add a little spice to that? Tell us a little bit about how you found your partner and co-founder, how you and Delphine met as well. So we've met in Paris uh, via the university. And uh, we decided to move to Hong Kong because uh, Delphine was working uh, uh, with a brand called Fago and I was working uh, with uh, The Couples and we were coming a lot to, to Asia for business trips and we love it. And we decided to, to try to really push uh, uh, internally in the, in the companies we're working with uh, to, to move to Asia and that happened. And, uh, and yeah, we, we just love the, 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 the life here in Hong Kong. Uh, you have the, the both uh, the business uh, excitement and uh, and uh, personal life uh, that people might not know that is super cool uh, with uh, really a lot of hiking and, uh, and, and natural landscapes we really love. Okay, so let's go back. I want to go back to the lightning strike, the spark. How did you come up with 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 this with this company, right? Like what was, what were you guys up to? What were you doing? What were the early stages of, of those conversations between you two that you really started to feel like you hit on something? And then how did you build that out and build out that vision as it, as it started to progress? So, so Delphine and myself, we were working for brands more on the distribution side, like uh, looking for new partners, new, looking for new stores. And, um, and that's how we started and, and arrived in Hong Kong. And um, she was facing at one moment some inventory excess that she needed to get rid of. Fago being uh, super uh, into sustainability, like it's really part of the DNA of the brand. Uh, they plant a tree each time they sell a product. Uh, it was impossible for them to uh, move the inventory back to Europe because uh, of the, um, the impact that the, the, the logistic might have. Uh, uh, so they said, no, no, you have to find a local solution. Of course, destroying was even less the, the, the possibility. Uh, so we organized a, a garage sale uh, where all the revenue uh, went to a charity. And that's when we realized that, uh, in fact, these kind of business models uh, of organizing flash sales, uh, which exist in Europe, in the US, uh, no one was doing that in Hong Kong. And, and that's really where uh, the idea came from. Uh, all the brands are talking more and more about sustainability. Uh, it's a lot about the production side, uh, of course, that's where they can have the biggest impact. But uh, for us, thinking that brands were destroying uh, perfectly new products uh, and knowing that a lot of people will be like dreaming of buying those products at a discount, that's how we, we, we had the idea of Fondolis and, and, and we made it happen in Hong Kong. Does this fall into the category of upcycling? Not really, because upcycling, you transform the product. Well, here we really uh, uh, sell what the brands have in the warehouse. So if we take a beauty, it might be, you know, short shelf lives. So retailers like the big Sephora or any, any department store will buy products like with 18 months of uh, uh, life, uh, like uh, at least uh, existing uh, shelf life. Shelf life. Um, yeah. Well, us, we can sell uh, cosmetic within three months as long as we tell members that they will have to use those products in a, kind of a quick manner, uh, they are happy because they get it with a big discount. Yeah. And I mean, for those who would, you know, say, say, I don't know, mascara, it's going to last for a year. 
Um, but if they're thinking, I use that up in three months, that's totally fine. And if it's three months old or six months old, totally fine. Would love the discount. Going to use it within the shelf life or the expiry date anyway. So heck yeah, sign me up, right? You're Europeans. You're obviously kind of half European, half North American. And then, and Delphine, I'm assuming is full. Is she full French? Correct. Okay. So you're running a company in Asia and I want to talk about building a team. I alluded to the fact, and you said earlier off the top of the show, you're there visiting your team of 25 that's in Singapore alone. Tell us a little bit about your team. Let's talk about some size, some location, where, where in the world are they all? Um, and then a little bit about what they do. And then I want to get into your recruitment and I'm going to try not to pile on a lot for you to remember right now, but give us a quick synopsis, a quick map of your staff, where, what it is today, but how do you recruit? Do you recruit with the intention of having global people, global minded people, those who have traveled, those who speak multiple languages, what sorts of characteristics are you looking for as you build out your staff and your colleagues and your partnerships? So we have 150 full-time members, like on the listers. Uh, Majority Hong Kong, Shanghai, 60 in each market. Then we have a team also in Seoul, uh, one person in in Sydney, um, because we're in in those markets. Um, And about uh, the criteria, I think the most important is the passion uh, that... Uh, they love the industry, uh, so working with brands, fashion brands, luxury. Um, they love also the fact that we can bring an impact. Uh, it's really important uh, that uh, when we do the hiring, uh, uh, the team, like the HR team, is really looking at um, if people understand on the list values and, and sustainability is really part of them. And uh, the passion I was mentioning, we have panache, which means that as we do events, there's a lot of excitement about uh, each time we do a, a big brand, there's thousands of people visiting the showrooms. And uh, so we have a showrooms is a point of sale uh, where we organize sales. Uh, we have three permanent showrooms uh, in Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Singapore, where I'm currently now. And, and so this excitement about uh, the events we organize means also some stress, some kind of uh, we need to be agile, flexible. And, and, and it's not always the case when, when you, you, you do the, the recruitment uh, to easily detect if people will have this mindset of uh, being able to take decisions uh, kind of on the go, uh, not to be like uh, uh, too worried because, of course, uh, things might not be exactly as we plan. Uh, and, and so that's really what we're trying to, to look at uh, when we're hiring some people. So to your point, yeah, people who travel, who've been uh, uh, more exposed to different cultures might be facing better this kind of situation. Uh, but not only, um, we have a lot of uh, team members that have uh, uh, been based in those markets and, and not necessarily been able to, to live abroad uh, and, and they adapt pretty well to those situations. So. We, we try to have really a mixed culture and, and, and to, uh, of course, then it depends on the skills of, of, the, of the different jobs. We have marketing, we have BD, we have ops, we have e-com, uh, the function supports like HR, finance, IT. So there's a lot of different roles and, and uh, of course, we're hiring. So if anyone is interested to join us on the podcast, don't hesitate to contact me. 
I love it. I yeah, absolutely. Do self promote, self ask, <laughs> whatever you're looking for, what you need. I get you know this is a, this is a great platform for that. I highly encourage it. All of our guests. I mean, we're going to get into that. You know, hey, you know what? Why not? What, 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 let's drop it right now. Where do people go if they want to jump on and and enjoy what on the list has to offer? Uh, there's a join us section on the website. Uh, where people can discover more about what we do, the values of on the list, and, and of course, the, the positions that are open. Uh, so that's pretty. And then on LinkedIn, on, on the classic platforms. We'll, we're going to drop the li- you know the link. We'll have it in the show notes and we'll have it you know, in the comments below and things like that. But what is, what is the website? Uh, on the list.com, all attached. On the list.com. Okay. On the list.com. Awesome. I mean, why wait to the end of the show to drop that? We're going to put it up front. You know, then we, more people are going to be, you know, inspired to go look down. You know, when I used to live in Asia and I was living in Shanghai, I worked with a lot of startups and I worked in the world of entrepreneurship and, and investing in early stage tech. I was working with this fantastic organization of people who were at this thing called Techie Zoo. And we wanted to do a weekend hackathon. We kind of wanted to be almost an anti-hackathon where we weren't focused on kind of outcomes and success as a, as, a, as a measuring stick to see who won. But we were actually almost leaning in on who could fail the most over the course of a weekend, a.k.a. learn the most about their proposed solution or, or platform or app or whatever it was they wanted to do. And so, and we called it Fail Faster. That was the name of our hackathon. And, you know, even if at the end of the weekend, you said, we have learned this is not a viable business for all of these reasons. And you had all this amazing data that you had gathered by talking to customers and people on the street about that. You could still win, even though your company wasn't viable. So, you know, it was very different. And so I wanted to ask you something that I don't actually ask a lot of people, but I want to know about your failures. Um, and I would like to see if you'd be open enough to talk a little bit at the beginning here about some potential major missteps, because, you know, that you can Google how to tile a bathroom floor, but you can also Google what mistakes not to make when you're tiling a bathroom floor. And I'm telling you, the second one will teach you more than the first one. So I thought maybe I would ask you, what are some of the mistakes, some of the missteps, some of the things that you would have done differently on this journey that you've been on? Uh, I wish uh, we didn't have mistakes, but uh, every time we, like every week, we have small little glitches. But um, the, the, of course, the, the biggest ones were when we had like really serious concerns about being able to open the cell. Uh, so IT uh, has been uh, sometimes uh, uh, facing uh, issues or um, uh, just uh, having short staff, people being sick, calling sick the day of a big event. And so we had to uh, find friends uh, to be able to operate the cell. Uh, so at the end of the day, it's just how you react to those uh, uh, challenges that you may be facing. Uh, the partners, so the, the, the first partner for us, it's a brand that we're working with. So as long as we are transparent, we tell them, okay, that's the situation. Uh, what do you want us to do? Uh, this is option one, option two. Uh, and at the end, they decide and, and they know that, okay, uh, we are doing our best to, to make it happen and to, to cover whatever we are facing. Uh, I think this is the most important is to, 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 yeah, to talk to your stakeholders. So of course, first is the team and, and to find a solution together. Uh, and then is the partners that's, uh, so, of course, the brand and for us, then the members uh, who's invited to the sale, if we have to cancel and to postpone the sale or if we are just uh, 
having short staff and it means there's going to be more line at the entrance at the cashier or uh, like it's not going to be as perfect as we want. But as long as we tell them, okay, we are really sorry, uh, please, uh, uh, this is really unexpected. Uh, it's not what we want to, to offer you as an experience. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, today, that's, that's the situation. Uh, people are pretty, pretty forgiving and, and they're pretty nice. And it reminds me the, the advice that we, we received from uh, uh, Fred, so the, one of the founders of Fagwo, uh, where Delphine started her career that when you have an idea as an entrepreneur, don't wait to make it big. Just do it as soon as you can and hear the feedback. And, and, and of course, it, it might not be as you want, but at least you will be able to, to uh, bring it to the direction that uh, everyone wants, not only you, but also your team, your, your customers. And, and that's really important. So, um, yeah, mistakes will always happen. And as you mentioned, you learn a lot from it. And, and that's, that's the most important is uh, once you face this kind of uh, urgent situation, uh, then to take the moment to sit down, uh, to learn, okay, why, why this happened, uh, how we can avoid it in the future, and to put in place processes so that uh, it, it will never happen again. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I definitely appreciate that. You know, it has to be hard sometimes, you know, especially with your partners or your brands when you're saying, listen, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love this. It's going to go brilliant. But in case it doesn't, we have to have a couple, just, just, just in case, you know, these are some precautions and some procedures. If X, Y, Z, maybe happens. And I'm sure, you know, along the way, this is how you build your script. So, you know, this is where your customer service scripts comes from. If you've got long lines or if there's payment transaction issues or something like that, you start to build out all those scripts of what to say and how to handle it, you know, and, and you, you start to infuse that into your customer service training or your sales training or what have you. And there's, there's no way to predict. It's almost, it's almost a waste of time to try to predict and write them ahead of time until you know exactly how it's going to play out you know, apologize, give discounts, uh, you know, and, and make the customer happy, but then, you know, you learn from it and, and move on. So yeah, good advice. Great advice on the list has partnered with many, many, many well-known brands. Okay. I wanted to ask you to talk a bit about your approach to building those partnerships and convincing them to join the platform. It can't be easy. I'm wondering if there's some nuggets, if there's some gold, some some advice that you have. How do you go about this in in trying to convince and sway them or or if they have concerns or objections, how you overcome them? What is your world of partnership building look like? Or maybe it's just super easy for you and you don't even have to work that hard. I don't know. Tell us. <laughs> it's never easy. <laughs> I wish again. Um, no, it's take time. It's a lot of perseverance uh, because, of course, uh, everyone is super busy. So it, it takes uh, uh, some some like resilience to to be able to meet the right people and 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 to get to know them. Uh, but. Now we are lucky to be in a situation where it's easier to, to get access to the people, but then to convince them to work with us is still a challenge uh, for some of the brands. Uh, and so the, the most important part is to get to know them and, and to really understand what are uh, the challenges they're facing. Of course, uh, concerning on the list, it's all about the stock, the excess inventory that they, they have at the warehouse. 
But we try to talk not only about that, we want to really understand the day-to-day life about really as a president, managing director of a brand in Asia, what are the really like uh, the big concerns and, 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 and in a way, if there's uh, any connection, any any uh, best practice that we can share, uh, they, they will love it. And I'm just showing this example because uh, it's something that uh, talking about HR just before, uh, everyone is facing a lot of turnover right now in retail worldwide and in Asia particularly. Uh, it's super hard to to find good uh, sales associates. Uh, and, and so there's a big turnover. And, uh, and so really all the discussions we are having with those decision makers within brands, they're saying, okay, how, how we can find the right talent. And, and, and now that uh, business is booming again in Hong Kong, in Macau, and, and even Southeast Asia has been a tremendously uh, like big growth uh, in Thailand, Australia, they, they all need to hire uh, more and more uh, staff. And uh, for us, we try to uh, turn uh, what we do, the friends and family sales as a, employee benefits and, and for luxury brands particularly, there's a big expectation from the teams to, to be able to access those sales because they all love the brands they work with. And so uh, to really show to those uh, decision makers within the brand, like the top management, that uh, they should consider uh, those events as a, a reward and part of the package. Uh, it's something that they, they like and, and that's why they are keen to invest and maybe pay a little bit more us to make it nicer, uh, like to have like a real event and where they can glue the team and, 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 and organize it like a, almost like a, a team building. Uh, so that's uh, just one example of uh, uh, listen to your partners, to their needs, and then uh, you can adapt uh, your offer and, and, and make sure that uh, you, you, you fulfill their, their concerns. Can I ask you something that you touched on there about staffing and that it has been, I think globally, at least a lot of areas of the world, I know it's felt in North America uh, and you mentioned that it's felt there. Why, in your opinion, is it so difficult in this day and age right now to be able to find people or to find good people? Why? Is staffing difficult these days, especially in Asia? Maybe a personal point of view. Uh, I'm not sure if everyone will share that. Uh, I think there was a kind of unfairness during COVID uh, because front staff, people in stores, uh, didn't have the same flexibility as uh, the people back office, like uh, anyone working in uh, in a corporate world uh, about uh, working from home. Uh, because, of course, if, if you're in a store, uh, you have to be there to sell, um, even though there was a lot of techniques to sell uh, with distance and, and with whatever tool on, on your phone. You still had to go to the stores and, and to meet people, which means more risk uh, to get COVID. Uh, and uh, I think this kind of, uh, of uh, attitude, so I think the brands that were trying to protect the, the retail teams as much as possible. They are the ones that are today more respected and, 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 and with less turnover. Um, and I think this kind of inconstantly, uh, uh, people remind it. And, and, uh, and, and, and that's why, yeah, they believe that, okay, why should I go back to a, a brand that uh, asked me to continue to work in retail while they were giving a lot of flexibility to their office team? So that's why... Uh, for us, it has been always a big uh, debate on how we should uh, uh, 
uh, treat uh, differently the, the retail team versus the office team. And, uh, and, and we try to minimize as much as possible uh, the, 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 the flexibility and, and to make sure that everyone was, was on, the same, uh, on the same boat and, and supporting as much as possible the, the, the showroom's uh, retail team. How has it changed for you over the last three, four, five years as far as what lands good talent? How do you attract good talent how has that changed over the last five years? Because it's a third of a generation or a quarter of a generation changeover. But, you know, we've had obviously the pandemic. We've had some tensions between North America and, and, and Asia. Of course, we know what's going on in Eastern Europe right now. We've had some recession type talks and, 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 and whatnot, especially going on in North America. There's been some, some hiccups with regards to global manufacturing and distribution. So it hasn't been a normal three or four years. It's been a lot in a small amount of time. And I think it has changed people. I think it has changed what they care about. I think it has changed what they look for. Maybe before, I really care more about salary. Now, yeah, salary, very much the last thing on my list of what I care about. I look for other things. How have you seen that stuff change and what have you guys done at on the list as far as changing what you offer and what you're trying to improve as far as benefits or package or culture or days off or work from home or whatever it is what have you been seeing and how have you at on the list had to adjust I, I, I think salary in Asia is still uh, important, uh, mm -hmm. but us, as we cannot necessarily align uh, with uh, the big groups, uh, because we might compete sometimes in, in some roles uh, with the luxury brands, uh, what we always offer is the experience. That's why we also have a pretty young team uh, that is uh, really eager to, to be uh, facing more responsibilities and, and, and get uh, more exposure. Uh, and that's really what we are offering. It's like uh, we work with so many different brands, so many different categories. Every week is a new event. So uh, they, they can really test and put ideas in place uh, a lot. And, and, and I think when you start your career, it's uh, amazing to be able to uh, take decisions and, and, and to see immediately uh, if those are uh, the good ones and, and, and the impact you are bringing to, to, towards the business. And in addition to that, I think the younger generation is also more and more keen to work for companies that are uh, doing something right in terms of uh, uh, the, the, the community and the planet. So um, we, we just became a B Corp uh, last year in Hong Kong. Um, even though it's not that famous, still in Asia, uh, we are only uh, in Hong Kong, we are uh, between 10 to 15 uh, companies, whatever industry that uh, are B Corp. Uh, it feels like people are curious and they want to know more about it. And, uh, and this kind of certification like, uh, shows that uh, the company is doing the right thing in, in some ways. Of course, there's a lot of, of things that can be done better, uh, but at least it's something that they, con they are concerned about. And, and, and so for, for the, yeah, for, for, I think for talents, uh, it's going to be more and more important to attract them. It's interesting. What, you know, I, I know that I'm throwing a bunch of stuff at you that you had no idea was coming. What was the main driver for you to actually go after the B Corp certification? It, it was more to, to, to prove to ourselves uh, internally that uh, 
uh, we, we were doing something right and that we could do something maybe more uh, consistent because we were trying to to uh, to, to be able to uh, for the team, as mentioned, is all the stakeholders. So already for the team, how how we can uh, give uh, the, the best uh, value and, and 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 so so again, uh, if I go back on the definition, a company the the main objective is uh, to give profits to the shareholders, and that's uh, still uh, the, the the priority for any company, even uh, the big corp ones. But then it's not it, the idea is not to focus only on that and. In addition of being profitable, it's how you can bring value to the rest of the stakeholders. Uh, and, and, and being able to do this assessment gave us a lot of ideas, a lot of thinking on what we could do better and, and more. Uh, and, and so that's why it's really uh, uh, the, the, the objective of becoming B Corp. Because at the end, uh, brands that we work with, uh, they don't necessarily see it as a big advantage for us to be B Corp. Of course, it gives credibility. Uh, and for the members on the list, customers, um, they don't necessarily know. So for us, it's more an educating process and, and to to show to more and more people in Asia that uh, if you really are concerned about climate change, and I think everyone should be concerned, uh, of course, politics can do a lot. And, and, and B Corp has some also uh, kind of a lobby effect on governments. In our industry, for example, uh, there is a new law, new legislation in Europe about uh, uh, circular economy and promoting that uh, the products uh, should keep in life and, and so about uh, stopping destruction of retail products. And uh, we hope we can uh, also influence in some ways uh, uh, in Asia, Hong Kong, Singapore, or even why not China, uh, to, to have regulations going into that direction. Um, and then as a business, I think there's a lot that we can do uh, to minimize uh, the waste and, and to uh, be able to promote a, a better consumption. I appreciate that. Deeply, deeply respect all of that as well. I think one of the underlying motivations to ask about that stems from some reverse culture education I received coming back across the pond. As listeners know or viewers know, I now reside in Western Canada and have found that on this side of the ocean, I don't think there's a belief, a strong belief that in Asia, there is much consideration for the planet or sustainability. So companies that would spend the resources to obtain a B Corp certification in that area of the world, it's an interesting challenge. It's, a, it's an interesting venture to go ahead and do that because the upside, as you said, partners maybe don't as much care. Your members or customers don't really know. Um, so again, you're pioneering that information towards them. So it is more... I think maybe internally for the company, for yourselves, and for your ability to join a more global or a more a wider movement locally to have some impact and effects politically uh, and to leverage the success and the size of your business, which is not that small at 150 people, to see what you can be doing to impact change. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what to add. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, that was just a really uh, long-winded 
summarization, I think, of, of what you already clearly said. So uh apologize for for going over it again. But uh again, very much a uh, you know respect and, and commendable work that you're doing. And I appreciate that you went out of your way to do all of that without a clear path to seeing more profits and revenue from it. You know, it was it was not an effort that was driving that bottom line, although you are designed to drive profits for shareholders, you still went ahead and did that. So I really hope that down the line, it does actually help that as well. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.